0: Well, good morning everyone, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ezra chapter 4. <clears throat> Last time I spoke we were looking at uh, the children of Israel as they came back from captivity. Uh, we see that they, um, Cyrus conquered Babylon uh, as the Word of God predicted and that he also allowed the children of Israel the opportunity to go back. It wasn't something that was forced it wasn't something that was demanded it was an opportunity that he gave them and he not only gave them opportunity but he uh, footed the bill for it Uh, he paid the way and he made sure that they had all the furniture from the temple and that they were going back with the funds and the protection that they needed to build the temple again Uh, we see that the children of Israel of maybe possibly the millions that were there in the kingdom at the time Um, it's recorded that only 50,000 came back. Um, And As my brother Dave was reminding us this morning, even though it was just a small remnant of 50,000, when God looked at them, he looked at them as a whole. They were the children of Israel. They were his children. And when they came and they moved into the land and they all gathered together, it says, in one mind to build the altar and to lay the foundation, he looked at them as a whole. It wasn't as a, a fragment there. And so we kind of left off at really one of the great high points in the history of the children of Israel in the sense that they returned to do the will of God. Um, they had a good start, and they were motivated. Uh, the young men and, uh, that were there were, I can't imagine what that was like, uh, to go for at least 50 years without a temple being there, and then to finally return to the land to do things as you've been taught Uh, This whole time, the word of the Lord had been taught and passed down, and you now have the opportunity to get back to what God intended for these special people. So we left off. They had just laid it. Big shout goes out. It's a triumphant shout, and we figure from here on out, it's smooth sailing, and I think they thought the same thing. Um, They reached this high point, and I think now that they were in the land, they assumed God wanted us here. God provided all these things. God's word said that this is how it was going to go, and we're just going to build the temple, and we're not going to have any issues, and we're going to serve the Lord. Well, that's not exactly what happened. Uh, so let's look in Ezra chapter 4. Let's see if we cannot find some things that we can use for our own lives. Maybe the Spirit of God will remind us of things, perhaps that we made a great start in, um, but maybe we didn't continue in. So Ezra chapter 4, we're going to read the first six verses. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, Wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the beginning, here, it, uh, the, one of the words that's used to describe these people that come to the children of Israel is adversaries, and your Bible might say enemies. Um, they were enemies, they weren't friends. But we notice when they come to the children of Israel, they come offering help. They come offering the fact that, hey, you know, we realize you're going to build this huge temple. You only have so many people, we will help you because we serve God just like you serve God. And how many times do we talk to people and you get into a spiritual conversation and you find out they don't have the same feelings about the Lord Jesus Christ, though they claim to be Christians, but they don't think of the Lord as the savior of all. They don't think of the Lord as a personal savior, uh, the one that paid it all, the one that finished the work and the one that now offers salvation freely, without works, by grace alone. And all of a sudden, you realize you're not the same. These people are not believers. One of the things that they'll often say is, but we serve the same God. We believe in the same God, don't we? I now say, no, we don't believe in the same God. You believe in a God that, you know, has sent his son to die, but that you still have to work and do certain things to be saved. That's not the God that I believe in. I believe in a God that paid it all. I believe in a God that finished the work, seeing that I couldn't. So in this case, and I don't know how many of you have uh, built anything or, or, or even, you know, a cabinet. I don't care what it is, but like a little baby thing that you put together. If someone comes and offers you help, that's pretty enticing. I know if I was uh, working down, I I had to work at Ayala High School yesterday, and I was on a. uh, I was telling Robert, twenty-foot pole. They the kids need these new lights. The lights aren't working, so they bought these new LEDs, and they called us out an emergency to come and put this in because the kids will be in the dark on um, Monday if they stay after five. And of course, my smart Alec remark was, you know. well, tell them to go home before 5, you know, yeah. don't let them be on the campus set. So anyway, I go there, and, and I have to put these lights up, but they're 20 foot in the air, and our boom truck was uh, down. It wasn't working. So I was on this 18-foot ladder straddling the top of it, and boy, I was shaking, and these lights are about 50 pounds, and I was putting it, trying not to pinch the wires as I put the fixture on there, and if somebody were to come and say, hey, you know, I'll give you a hand, I'll get up there and put, I would say, <laughs> be my guest, pal, go ahead, you know, I'll I'll hold the bottom of the ladder for you. So, I you know, looking at the task that they had in hand, this was a pretty enticing offer that this group was going to come and help them. Uh, there's just one problem. Uh, these people were working the works of Satan. They were trying to infiltrate. They were trying to get in on this work that they had that God had given them. So we see that the, right, the mind was right with the children of Israel at that time. And when these people came, the leaders of the people said, we have not, nothing in common with you guys. You don't serve the God like we do. We are His people. And so they did the right thing in saying, we will build it ourselves. And I think, again, they thought that because they honored God, because they made the right choice, that things would get easier, that the, 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 the struggles would get lighter. But we see that that's not the case either. The minute they refused this compromise, there was another tactic that came in, and that was they were just going to hamper the work. First, they were going to help, and they figured if they can get on the inside, they could do a little bit more damage maybe. But if we can't get in on the inside, then we'll just make it hard on them. And I think of uh, how many of us have, have started something, even, even something simple, um, personal devotions in the morning. Um, you know, trying to, I mean, I look at, you know, Kathy and I trying to pray together at night. And now with Noah and, and being tired and all of these things, you try to do something simple. And all of a sudden, all these other things come into play. And it's like, It's hard you think how hard is it just to just you know before you fall asleep you know kneel before the bed and pray with your wife but it's hard praying is hard it's hard work and I think at this portion here the children of Israel kind of expected things to be easier now we're no longer captives in a foreign land we're back at home um, we're, we're one we're together we have the same goal the same mind we're all striving towards the same thing we have the leaders we have the funds we have workers we have the right to do this, but they're discouraged. So if you want to know who these people are, uh, you can go back and read Second Kings 17. Uh, these were people that were displaced there by the king of Assyria at the time, Esarhaddon, and uh, we know them as the people of Samaria during Jesus' day. Uh, they were people, foreigners, and uh, people from the northern tribes that have kind of um, intermarried and and... and kind of created their own people group. And they did um, offer up these sacrifices, but it, if you read 2 Kings 17, you find it was they were afraid of the animals because the animals were killing them in the land there, and they started sacrificing. And it says they feared the Lord, but they still served their graven images. So there was this um, conflict. Um, so we see that, in a sense, they, in their mind, they think this is the same God. But in the children of Israel, in the truth, it's not. It's, it's different. Um, so we have here, the the offer comes. The leaders of the people turn it down, and in verse four it says, "Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building." And it says they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Uh, this this portion next to it, uh, verses seven through twenty-three, is a uh, what I call a parenthetical portion. So basically this is written at a separate time for a separate group of people, but this is given as an example of the kind of opposition that they faced during these days. If you notice the names of the kings that it mentions, Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes, those are kings from a later uh, generation. So this is a portion that's written to give you an idea of the opposition they were facing. And any logical person would read the letter written and, and say, wow, you know, if I was king, I probably wouldn't want them to build either if they're just going to build and then rebel like they have all throughout their history. So what I imagine this portion to be like with, with these counselors is them coming to the children of Israel and saying, if you build this, we're, we're going we're to send this letter. We're going to make sure that the work is stopped. We're going to make sure that you don't build it. And I could see the people being afraid. You know, we just got back from captivity. Everything's going to be Okay. You know, well, they don't want us to build the temple. So now they have this issue where they have all this material because in Ezra chapter 3, we read that they had paid this money to get the material shipped from Lebanon and all this wood to be brought. So they have all this material here, but they're not going to build. So they start to look towards their own needs, and we find that they start building their own houses. And we find that this period from... What, what it said here to this, the second year of Darius, the, about 15 years goes by. So they have the work of the Lord set before them. They know what they're supposed to do. They've been given everything that they need to do it. But the work stops. And 15 years goes by. And I just want everyone to, to take a second and think about that, what, what 15 years is. What were you doing 15 years ago? Um, you know, we think of the entire Sunday school over there. Most of them weren't even alive 15 years ago. So think of a work that the Lord had given you. It, it, and like I say, it could be something simple. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading through the Bible in a, in a year. I'm going to start my daily devotionals. I'm, I'm going to start coming to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'm going to start coming to night meeting. I'm going to start helping the saints at the home, w- whatever it is. Maybe a a burden that the Lord put on your heart all that time ago. Did that work continue or did it not? Have you fulfilled that? Um, Have you been striving in that? Or is it something that's maybe been put on the back burner? Um, You know, our own lives get in the way. Um, I think of all the opportunities that are available to us, and it's always easy to find a reason why you can't do something, um, why it's too hard or it's too much. It's, it's easier to say no than it is to say yes, or I'll do it another day. So I'm not going to read this portion from 7 to 23. I'm going to jump back to it when we come back at a later time uh, to put it in context with, the uh, like I say, it's, it's, normally, it's really around Nehemiah's time. And if you read the portion, it talks about building the city and building the walls, doesn't even mention the temple. And it's because it was written at a later time. So we'll pick up at verse 24 of chapter 4. It says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So... Now we're going to jump from this portion in Ezra. Like I say, the goal is to go chronologically through these portions in these five books. We're going to jump to Haggai chapter 1. So as I said, the work has been stopped now for 15 years. And every day, uh, the people there in Jerusalem get up and they go into their fields and they work the land and they do their jobs. And the temple that they once were so passionate about building, the reason why they came back to Jerusalem, uh, it still lies in waste. Um, And as anybody knows, if you keep doing the same thing every day, every day, every day, um, you become complacent. Um, You get into a routine. And I think of just my own, you know ritualistic attitude in the sense that, you know, I generally park in the same spot. I generally sit in the same seat here at the chapel. Um, I, when I go, even if I go into, like, a, a, a coffee shop to get a cup of coffee, I normally wait in the same chair. It's, it's ridiculous, really, when you think about it. But you develop these norms, these patterns, and it becomes familiar, and it becomes easy. It, it we believe it's a way to make our life easier as you eliminate the number of decisions you have to make in the day. And uh, I wish Kathy would practice that sometimes, (laughs) because there's times when, uh, never mind, we won't talk about that. We woke up this morning, and we woke up late. You know, we don't set our alarm with Noah. He's normally up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Kathy took him, and he fell asleep again, and uh, we fell asleep again. And so uh, we were late uh, this morning. And we were running late, and I was putting Noah in the car seat, and Kathy goes, who's speaking today? I'm speaking today, you know. (laughs) Thanks for praying for me, dear. And she was like, "I remember, I remember. We were talking about it last night." I said, "Yeah, we were. We were talking about it last night." But my point is, you, you develop a routine. You develop this thing, and and you find that without knowing it, you're exactly where Satan wants you to be. You're not doing anything for the Lord. If you belong to the Lord already, the goal for Satan is to not have you serve him, to stop the work, to stop your service for the Lord. That's his goal. And you see he approached with, well, okay, I'm going to get on the inside, I'm going to infiltrate, I'm going to get them to worship these false gods again. That was his tactic in the past. And we see that God got rid of that in Babylon. He took them to the, the home of idolatry and he got it out of their system. And when they came back to Jerusalem, the problem that they had was not idol worship. They weren't worshiping idols. They weren't doing any of these things. And we see that when the opportunity presented itself, they immediately said, look, we're not going to have anything to do with you guys. So Satan used a different tactic. And it was just going to be he was going to pressure them. And when they went off to do their own thing in their own lives, he was going to back off a little bit. And he was going to let them build your own houses, get your own work started, Start your families. Get busy. Do things that don't serve the Lord. Do things that serve yourself. Worry about you right now. That's the message of Satan. That's his goal. And we see that it worked for 15 years. Nothing happened until a man, Haggai, comes on the scene. Um, We don't really know anything about Haggai. We know that his name means festive or festival. Um, No history of his parents. We don't know what tribe he's from. Uh, what kind of lifestyle he had, or the success, maybe, or failures. We don't know anything about Haggai. He's mentioned a couple of the, in other books of the contemporaries, like we just read in Ezra or in Zechariah. Um, but in the fact that there's nothing mentioned about him, we have, a, we have a principle, and that principle is the only credential you need is that the message is from the Lord. doesn't matter who your dad or mom is. doesn't matter uh, if you grew up in the church. It doesn't matter. Any, none of those things matter. What matters is it's a message from the Lord. And we see that those are the only credentials necessary. So Haggai's ministry only lasts about four months. And it's uh, in these uh, 38 verses here. And in four months, he preaches about five messages. And the entire nation is turned around. Um, He has an amazing ministry. And then we don't really hear anything about Haggai after that. The work is done. Um, If only we, we could be like that. Get up and preach for a week, and (laughs) everyone's back on track. Um, So, we have here, we're going to read the first 11 verses here in Haggai, and we'll see that these things line up. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedech, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. So, one thing that we know about the prophets uh, during the time of the children of Israel is They weren't very well liked. Uh, Most of them were hated. Uh, Most of them were beaten and killed. And um, we know that the history of the prophets is not a happy one, according to our standards. Uh, They generally were, seems like, pretty lonely people. Uh, They came and delivered a message that normally um, was hard to hear uh, during a time of you know, walking away from the Lord. And that it was a burden that they had. They, they had to say these things. They had to get it off their chest. They had to honor the Lord. They, there was nothing that they could really do about it. And we, were, we heard last week uh, from our brother Clay Berry about this idea of speaking the truth in love and what we've kind of made that out to be. Uh, speaking the truth in love in, in the general Christian setting is the idea that maybe uh, I I tell you what you need to hear in the nicest possible way so that you're not that offended and that we're still friends and you still like me when we're done. That's not speaking the truth in love. What Haggai is doing here is speaking the truth in love. There's nothing that Haggai is going to gain from this as far as from the people. Uh, He is coming to them and he has a message from the Lord. And it is a true message. It is is the case. This is what's going on. And all he can do is tell them. And when you read it, it it hits home. But he did it in love. It was to benefit them 100%. There was no ulterior motive. There was nothing in it for himself. And like I said, he gets nothing from this. (laughs) But this is something he had to say. That's what speaking the truth in love is. Um, we see that there was probably people that appreciated it, and there was probably people that were kind of angry that he stood up and said these things. Um, but you notice that their, their reaction wasn't his concern. Uh, he had a job to do, and that was to give this message. So I just want to encourage you, perhaps the Lord's put something on your hearts to tell someone. And perhaps you've beat around the bush, perhaps you've tried to say it in a nice way. Um, I'm not saying be mean about it but I'm saying you need to tell the people what the Lord told you and how they take it and how they treat you after is not really up to you uh, if you love them you gotta tell them and so this is what Haggai is doing here and we see that first he goes to the leaders these people that made the right call fifteen years ago and he tells them this is what these people say they say that the time has not come the time that the Lord's house should be built and you'll find that when you're doing something that um, goes against the Lord, that, that goes against these things, when people confront you, people from the, 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 the gathering, brothers and sisters, um, you try to make it sound more spiritual. <laughs> the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Um, really? Who told you that? Well, you know, just from the way things seem, it's hard. And, um, you know, every time you go to try to start it, there's opposition. And so we stop, and we just wait, because eventually God will, you know, take away the opposition, and we just go and do it at our own pace and kind of be happy about it. And um, that was the philosophy of their own mind, and really, I think that's our own philosophy at times. Uh, We go to start a work, and perhaps we get started, and there's great opposition, and we say, okay, well, I'm just going to back off, and I'm going to do things at another time uh, when it's easier. But here... They come, they, sit, they, they give this message, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It says, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, so now he's going to speak to the entire group of people. Uh, this message would have been uh, in around September, uh, would have been t- a time around the latter feast of Jehovah. Uh, we would have uh, the day of the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement and the feast of booths coming up right here. So the entire nation would be gathering together again. Um, And like I say, this is 15 years later. Something that's been placed on the back burner. Something that they knew they should have been doing, but has uh, not been done. So the prophet speaks to the people, and he asks them a question. They said, it's not time that the Lord's house should be built. And he says, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? And I think this is what the, the church of God is guilty of today. The house of God today is made up of people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that make up the body of Christ, uh, the temple of a living God in that sense. And we have an obligation to build that. The foundation has been laid, um, the building has begun, and we have the opportunity to build upon it build one another up, um, to encourage. We've been given gifts that we would be used in a perfect spot, in a perfect situation to excel to the glory of the Lord. But how many of us, given everything that we've been given, are off doing our own things? And the response is, well, I just don't have time right now, and I need to do this for me. And all of a sudden, everything becomes about me, and then you know, I'll, I'll, even in my own life, you know, you, you use the family as an excuse. Well, you know, Kathy's at home, and I need to watch Noah, and I need to help out, and I, I can't come and help you, I can't come and pray with you, or I can't be there for this. It all of a sudden, you, you kind of lose perspective, and you, and you get complacent. And then what you find is that people stop asking. <laughs> and it gets easier just to be at home and to do your own thing and all of a sudden, you know, one Sunday morning, you come to meeting, and it's going to be like every other Sunday, and the word of the Lord touches your heart, and you realize maybe things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going in my life, and maybe I have neglected the work of the Lord for some time, and maybe it's time to pick it back up. So he asked this question, and I think of this portion, like I said, they had all this material that they had ordered and bought and paid for come to Jerusalem and it says that they're dwelling in pretty nice houses here I can only imagine that maybe that material was lying around and you don't want to let it go to waste and so you say well I'm gonna take this portion here and I'm gonna build me a place and I'm gonna take this portion here and build me a place so they took what was supposed to go to the Lord and they spent it on themselves is what it looks like and so they're dwelling in these beautiful homes and what they find is that their life really isn't going the way they wanted it to go either. They think that the most dangerous place to be in is, is, is complacent is one thing, um, but to not realize it, to be oblivious. And the Lord has to come in to remind them. In verse 5 it says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You were given an opportunity to build my house but you chose to build your own house. You were given an opportunity to get back to the work, but you chose to invest in your own lives and your own time and your own families and, and whatever the case may be. This is what you chose to do. And in their mind, he says, you know, you think that life is going good. You have a nice home, you have a nice family, you have a work, but consider your ways. Consider what's going on. Consider the choices that you made. And the Lord reminds them in verse 6, it says, you have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. There's no satisfaction. There's no peace. There's no, they're not actually reaching anything. They're just spinning their wheels. And this whole time, maybe they didn't even realize it. They just thought, well, you know, you know, we worked hard and we sowed a lot. and, 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 you know, we didn't get that much, you know, just one of those years or you know you, you go how many i mean we don't know what this is like but my grandfather used to tell me that he never left the table hung or full he never left the table full until he got into the navy i've never left the table hungry i've you know i've never that's not an issue that i've had but this idea i think about that to, to every day go to the table to eat something and you're hungry and to leave the table and still be hungry it, it didn't satisfy. What was the point of even going to the table to eat if you're not going to eat to be at least content? To drink but still be thirsty. I'm going to keep drinking, but I'm still I'm still I, being thirsty and being hungry are two terrible things. Um, and when I'm thirsty or hungry, you know, I make it terrible for everybody else too. So it's just not not, not a good not a good thing to be about um, this idea of being cold. It says you clothe yourselves, but there is none warm. My wife hates being cold. And for me, if I'm hungry or thirsty, then then it's miserable for everybody else. If my wife is cold, then it's miserable for everybody else. That's her thing. Um, so this idea of being cold, not being able to get warm, I don't really know what that's like either. Uh, I like being cold. But this idea of, you know, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, but you're not getting anywhere. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. You ever feel like you, you're working so hard to get to a certain place in your mind? You know, you set up this idea of, you know, if I could just get there, if I could just have this much, if I could just make this much a year, or whatever the case may be, then all my worries will kind of be put at ease. Um, that's just a, a lie. That's just a joke. There's, there's nothing like that. You, you'll never find it going that route. And what the Lord is really showing in this portion is, Outside of serving the Lord in obedience to him, there is no satisfaction or joy or peace that will ever be found. Nothing. There's nothing that can be found like that. And even though he's telling them to go and to erect this huge temple to him, even though he knows there's going to be opposition, even though he knows it's going to be hard, they'll have peace, they'll have joy, and they'll finally have that satisfaction and I think that's in our own lives we know that to be true if we consider our ways uh, how hard we work at work um, does it ever get to the point where there's complete satisfaction and peace and you can just hang it up and kind of just joy in it Um, I remember we have a friend who's who's done well and he owns a, a business a trash business and made just a ton of money and I asked him one time, we were talking about business, he was asking how things were going, and I asked him, I said, does it ever feel like the wolf's not at the door? Like, you know, any moment, the wolf's going to come by and just blow everything down. Like, you got all this stuff. And, and, I mean, this is a guy, like I say, made a fortune, doesn't have to work anymore. And he says, no, never feels like that. And there's an author, I can't think of his name, uh, but you all probably heard this one. And um, grew up poor, grew up in, you know, humble beginnings, this and that. And just really made something of himself, became a Pulitzer Prize winning author, and just was very well thought of, very well respected. And um, this interviewer was asking him, if there was any advice that you could give to somebody else, maybe in your position, about really working hard and really striving and getting to the top, what would it be? And he says, you know, I wish somebody would have told me that when you get to the top, you'll find there's nothing there. That was the advice he gave. All these things that he searched and worked for, when he got there, he realized there's nothing there. That's what's happened here. Fifteen years, these people have thought, once I can get my crop going this much, once I can make this much, once I can have this much, then we'll be at ease. Well, they've been doing it for 15 years and it hasn't happened. In our day, the mind goes to the fact that, well, Satan's just on me, and he's just opposing me, and he's just making it hard, and I just got to work harder at this, and if I can push, then I can get there. Not, really, not realizing that Satan's not opposing them at this point, that God's opposing them at this point. They got it confused. They thought that Satan didn't want them to have all these things. No, Satan wants you to have all those things. But if it comes, especially if it comes to the place of serving God, God doesn't care if you have all those things as long as you're serving him. You can have as much as you want as long as he has your heart. Because if he has your heart, he's got everything. And he doesn't have to worry about it. So we have here this idea, so consider your ways. So Haggai is giving this message to the people. And they're thinking back over 15 years. And they're realizing everything that he said is true. We don't have anything. So we have in verse 7 again, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And I uh, kind of wish when I opened the Bible that it was that plain, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, you hear people praying about, like, what college they should go to or what job they should take or what car they should buy. And, like, just once you want to open the Bible and be like, buy the Chevy, don't buy the Ford. And, you know, oh, man, oh, okay, here we go, you know. It um, doesn't really work like that. Yeah, it doesn't really work like that. So you have this instance where, uh, basically, Haggai tells them, go do this. Get off your butts. Go build a house. And really, think about what he's saying. Go up to the mountain, chop a bunch of wood down, bring it back here, and build a house. That's basically what he's saying. And the Lord says, I will be glorified in it. Um, I don't know what it's like... Uh, to cut that much wood, but I do know what it's like to go up on a big hill and cut a tree down and bring it back. And uh, Ricky and the guys at camp uh, know what it's like when you have thirty guys to cut one tree down and it takes you a couple hours. Um, So, you know, imagine that to build an entire temple. It's a long time. It's a lot of swings with the axe there. But this this is the message. And we find that the children of Israel at this time run towards it. They know what God says is true. They know from their own lives that this isn't what they really came back for. They didn't come back to worry about themselves. They came back to serve the Lord. And the message and the instruction goes out again. You know, you, you spent all the money already buying other stuff. So now you've got to go up, cut the wood down, and bring it back and build it. This is the message. So it says in verse 9, he tells them to consider their ways again. He says, you looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Um, And really think of that in our own lives. Um, We come together for prayer every Wednesday. And we pray for everyone, all of you here, um, every Wednesday. Um, And one of the prayers that we have is that more people would come out and pray with us this idea of taking care of the Lord's house. Uh, Sometimes our burdens go to our own homes. I know when I have something to work on at my house, everything else kind of takes a back seat to it um, because it's got to get done. And um, believe me, I know what it's like to work in people's homes um, and to kind of tie things up for a bit, you know. Um, I've worked on homes where we've remodeled entire homes, kitchens, this and that. And let me tell you, um, people do not respond well when their house is torn up and they feel it's taking too long because I can't be inconvenienced. I can't go one more day without my kitchen. I need it done now. I need it done. And I'm in a position that kind of says, look, I can't go any faster than what I'm doing right now. I only got so many guys, and, you know, we're not a team of, uh, you know, HGTV where we come in and there's 400 people that go to town and just, you know, do it in a day. Um, No, you know, I got six guys here. (laughs) You know, it's not going to happen. But this idea of when it's our own stuff, we want it done now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to take too much time. And if it is taking too much time, we look at those people and we say, you better hurry up. Because you said it was going to be done at this time. Well, 15 years has gone by, so I would say the Lord's pretty patient. And he tells them, all the things that they've run to, all the things that they've gone to, you look for much and it came to little. You tried it your own way. You tried to do it your own route, and it didn't work out. Get back to doing what I've asked. So verse 10, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from a fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands of Israel. Um, even, I mean, they weren't having as many children, it looks like. <laughs> so this idea of a drought, maybe you're looking at your own lives and you're thinking, you know, I, I, nothing's really going my way. It um, seems like, maybe it seems like God's opposing you. And uh, the scary thing is, maybe he is. Um, so this morning is an opportunity for us all to consider our ways, to think of what the Lord has laid on our hearts, uh, to remember times past, maybe since we became a believer, all the things that we had to do for the Lord and what's really been done, uh, self-examination. Uh, we see here in verse 12 we'll finish on a high point again. It says then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people did fear before the Lord. So Haggai comes on the scene, delivers a message, and we find in just over 3 weeks they're back building again. They've gone up, they've they've cut the wood down and they're they're back to work. Um, let it be that way in our own lives, perhaps the things that we've pushed aside. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for this um, historical account of the children of Israel in really a time, in a time of repentance, um, a time of thinking that it was okay for them to do things for themselves and changing their minds and realizing that uh, God has to come first. Um, Father, we pray that in our own lives we would look at things that are going on that we would truly consider our ways and that we would be burdened to do the things that you have asked us to do, uh, to love the brethren, to pray for one another, to use our gifts to build one another up. uh, Father, to take the lowest position and to think of others more than ourselves. Um, We just ask that you would be with us throughout this week, that you would bring things to mind, and that in all things we would be obedient to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.